What's going on, everyone? Might go back with another episode of Hobby Talk. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to the show. I'm very pleased to be joined today by someone who has been on the show in the past, but it was a couple years ago at this point, and I think he was a co-guest. Mike Moynihan, a.k.a. Baseball Collector. Mike, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Definitely a long time coming. Definitely thrilled to have you back. And of course, it's been a crazy year. Been talking about this a lot. Always talk about this. It's been a been a wacky year and a half, right? Not only in real life and the real world and all the crazy stuff that's happened, but also the fact that the hobby has grown, the card market has changed, ups and downs, good stuff and bad stuff, um, all sorts of different angles. So plenty to talk about that, but one of our main things we'll be talking about, of course, is the fact that the National Sports Collectors Convention, after taking a one-year hiatus, is back. It's officially back. Everything is ready to roll, ready to go. We're less than 50 days from the time of this recording away, July 28th through August 1st. And it is something that we will talk extensively about because it's a big deal. It's one of those things that... uh it might be hard for some just entering the hobby or some people who aren't involved in the hobby to be like, wait, you're flying somewhere or driving a long distance or spending a lot of money to attend a baseball card show. But it's certainly more than that. So we have a lot to get into. Yeah, I'm excited about the show. I I, I don't know if you heard. First of all, Mike, on the day we're recording this, I, w- I want to tell you happy birthday on behalf of the community out there. Happy birthday, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. Is it weird being, you know, 26? Does that feel strange? 26 plus, you know, a decade and a few years, of course. But, you know. <laughs> Who's counting yeah, at this point? Who's it it just becomes irrelevant at a certain point. You just continue to gain experience, both in That's life right. and the hobby. Well, speaking of the show... You were mentioning it. Did you hear the news? They came out today on Twitter. They're actually changing the name of the show. You know, it's National Sports Collectors Convention. They're changing it to the National Sports Card Investor Flipper Convention. Oh, you know is that, that official? Yeah, I mean that's what the hobby is. They want to they want to keep up with the times, you know, and so they're uh, they're changing the official name of the show. That is uh, certainly the way that. Uh... Things have evolved and developed for sure, but that doesn't mean it's not still a great hobby and a ton of fun. And I always try when I produce videos and such to, you know, when, when I think about it to make sure I, you know, make mention of that. There's still plenty of affordable ways, of course, to, uh, involve yourself in the hobby. Um, and there's so many aspects of the hobby and so many ways to collect and so many different things to collect, but the national being back is definitely a big deal and it's obviously an incredible amount of fun. So like, is there one thing that kind of stands out when you think like, all right, the national's on, I'm going to go like, what is that main driving force for you, Mike? It, of course it's the people, but I, I enjoy going to see stuff 
yeah, cards are cards. There's just different stuff there too, right? There's memorabilia and the auction houses bring all their big items and you see cards and grades you've probably never seen before in person. Or I remember one year I held a game used Babe Ruth bat, you know, that an auction house had and it let you hold it. You had to wear white gloves. I remember, you know, like the, the white glove treatment on that, just different hobby uh, things that you get to experience nowhere else. And it's got this amazing atmosphere. I think, this year, maybe you could weigh in on this too. I think it's going to be crazier than ever. And you and I have been to many nationals. We've seen the how just crazy busy it is normal in a normal year, right? The last time the national happened, the hobby hadn't boomed yet and the way it is now. So don't you think it's just going to be like nothing we've ever seen? I certainly think it's going to be on a whole nother level. So the hobby had as a whole been growing a little bit at a time, you know, for the last, I mean, it's always growing and you know, it's always moving around, but you definitely saw a difference in it over the years, early 2010, 11, 12, I think 2017, you saw it spike a little bit in terms of the rookie chase, a lot of interest in Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger, and then the 2018 rookie hype, and you kind of saw that stuff growing, Shohei Otani, that's when you really start, there was, I think, some super fractor, it was like a bounty, like a $50,000 bounty on that card or something at one point, and then I remember just kind of seeing that momentum grow, uh, but nothing like it was in 2020, and you know, with that, the hobbies continue to evolve and gain more attention. And whenever there's money and people seeing that, you're going to have people come in and want a piece of that action. And we've certainly seen that quite a bit. And in terms of not only the cards themselves, but the way social media is, obviously it's just gone to a whole nother level. It's just gone crazy it's gone bonkers just like the hobby itself and the prices on the hobby and that's one of the things that's kind of helped drive the hobby prices um so nutty because of all the action on twitter about sports cards now and instagram is huge like i'm not a huge instagram guy but i just i know that's where there's a lot of action in facebook groups and now YouTube, you know, YouTube really used to be just a bunch of collectors. And then, of course, you'd have breakers and stuff posting their stuff, but it was really collectors based. And now when you take a step back and look at the current landscape of YouTube and sports cards, it's really been dominated, at least on the newer, more attention driven, more things with the most views are getting it's all about flipping and investing and people kind of giving advice. And it, it seems, and of course it's hard to know every person involved in all these, but it seems to be coming a lot of people who have been in it for a year or two. And they're just kind of showing, Hey, look, you can flip cards, you can make money. So it seems what it's a lot about. Now, of course there's a huge core base of collectors out there. And a lot of people who've been making videos on YouTube for years some even a decade decade plus uh, there's a lot of them out there of course but it just that's just the way it feels and then of course you have like the corporate feel and now you have uh, people building brands and I think you're going to see all that on display at the national the main stage you're going to have some of these 
people giving advice, these hobby experts who haven't necessarily been around uh, a ton of time, but they're, they either have big time backing and they're able to promote stuff. So I do think you're going to see, and you know, this is all hearsay and you can, or at least from my standpoint, cause I wasn't there, but from what I've heard, and you can obviously speak on this, the Dallas show, you had some camera crews following people around and stuff. And you think about it, if that's going on at a regional show, like the Dallas show, what's going to happen at the national. So I think we're going to just see all that stuff, uh, community wise. And then when you think about all the prices and the stuff being sold and the amount of people coming in, I think it is going to be absolutely wild. So that's my very long winded, yeah, filled with a lot of information kind of answer there. Well, yeah, the Dallas show was, I mean, there were literally dozens of guys walking around with camera crews kind of thing and guys holding boom mics. And I mean, it was, uh, certainly interesting. All of them seemed like kind of the flipper guys, uh, and and what the weird thing is, I don't know any of them. You know what I mean? In the community, the community is has been in the past pretty tight knit. I mean, you got to know some of the key people. Through that, you met more and more people at the national. You get as as our friend Eric likes to say, you know, it's a giant family reunion. You get to just see everybody again and connect through cards and talk about life and you know, it's always more than cards, but it, the cards is what brings us all together. And it's the best part of the show uh, for sure. But, you know, we've, I think you and I have both been to nationals where we weren't part of that community. And I've been to it, you know, when I used to go to nationals and it was just, I didn't know anyone, literally, I was just walking around looking at cards and buying stuff that I wanted. It's so much more of a richer experience now. Uh, I look forward to it way more because of those friendships that you get to rekindle and, you know, walk around with people. And it's it's because it's just fun to share the hobby, right? It's not fun to do it in a vacuum. It's no fun if your cards just sit in a dark closet, which was kind of an inspiration to make content to begin with for me. Like, who do we have to share this with? If it's just sitting there, it's, I mean, it's not that it's not cool, but what's the real joy in it? The joy of it is sharing it. Uh, the Dallas show, you know, I got to, you get a smidgen of that. I got to see several guys that I know in the community. Um, several of them even stayed with me here at my house, which was great. But that's, that's the fun part. We had a lot more fun just hanging out. And, and, oh, by the way, we get to go to a really cool card show. I know you got the Philly show coming up uh, soon, even this weekend, right? So are you looking forward to seeing some guys? Are you looking forward to – are you interested to see if there's going to be a lot of camera crews walking around kind of thing? I mean I'm definitely interested to see how things – how it is compared to the last time they had it. I think the last three shows have been – canceled slash postponed and this is really a special show a special added show Uh, typically the Philly show they do spring fall and winter so it's usually in late February early March and then they do one in late September early mid-September and then they always have one in December 
So we'll see, because obviously a lot has transpired, as you mentioned, and as we talked about in the hobby since the last time they had a show, uh, I don't know what to expect in terms of, I've never seen a lot of content made at the show. I've, I've done a few videos in the past, um, with some of our buddies like Ray from Philly and Ed Wesker Griff, but, uh, I'll be interested to see if others maybe do some videos. I don't know that I'll be doing anything there, but just to see how big it is. And I, I fully expect it to be absolutely packed. I know, uh, Friday they're doing it two-hour sneak peek. It costs an extra $15 to get in for that. Um, so we'll see how the show is. I am, I'm definitely interested to see how things are. I'm excited to go to the show. I know I'm going to meet up with a few fellow YouTubers on Friday. That's the only day I'm actually available to go. So I know Ed is going and I know, uh, Brian Roth, um, who's card soup on, Instagram and all that stuff and selling some stuff. B Roth six on YouTube. I'll be meeting up with him. So should be uh should be a good time. I'm sure I'll run into a few others as well. But you know, it's an awesome show. It's a fun show. Uh, a lot of cool vintage and stuff to see, but it's still nothing compared to the uh the national. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty insane and i'm 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 probably more excited this year than any year in the past because again i just know more people even than before um i'm excited to see the environment i'm excited to see what prices are because we are seeing prices soften as crazy as it's been i think some things are kind of coming back down to earth a little bit and i'm excited to see if there are deals to be had um I know at the Dallas show, I was able to negotiate every card that I bought. There wasn't any, nope, not selling it to you unless you want to pay sticker, which is what I was always, I've been afraid of going to a show, but that was not the case. And the dealers were ready to move product, which is, that's good if you're a buyer, right? Absolutely. We'll see. We'll see how things kind of develop in the next, you know month and a half or so um, in terms of the card market. And as you move into different seasons, I'm sure by then there'll be a little more hype for football, but you know, maybe baseball be kind of lost in the shuffle with that a little bit. And that's, you know, there's a lot of movement and a lot more. I feel like, you know, the modern day stuff, the, the modern and ultra modern stuff is a little more affected by that, but there's going to be a lot of competition for sure. There's going to be tons of dealers. And I think you're going to have a lot of people there with backpacks full of cards that are ready to trade and potentially sell some stuff. I think those trade nights and such, there'll be a lot of action. So I think I think that's just a little more competition for the dealers. They're going to have to be ready to uh, move. I mean, you have to realize that, you know, obviously you have people who do this for a living and, um, you know, the Nationals a huge show for them, but in today's world, I mean, anyone and everyone can be a, be a seller if they want to be, even if you're a collector, you know, you have some stuff to move. We see people do that all the time. So I definitely think it's going to be an interesting experience. Yeah. Most of the people at the Dallas show were walking around with, you know, card boxes, ready to sell things. They were always asked. I heard tons of people walking around. Hey, are you buying? Are you trading? You know, all kinds of stuff was happening at the Dallas show. And I, I think there's this kind of 
you know, the Dallas show got really big because I think there wasn't, there was just a, a void in the market. Nobody else was doing shows. It was kind of the first, I'll call it bigger show that kind of reopened after the pandemic. And so everybody came to it and there were huge amounts of money being thrown around by the new wave of people, the, the old collectors, everybody was just anxious to get back to the swing of in-person buying cards. I can see now that a lot more regional shows are opening. Again, there's only so much money in the hobby, I think. And I think it gets, it, it, it's going to naturally get diluted as people spend money in Philly or Chantilly or wherever. I mean, there's a Dallas show in early July, a couple of weeks before the national. And I know like for me, my choice is, well, I can't do both. I can't go spend, you know, we all have hobby budgets. I just did a podcast about this, about hobby budgets. We all have them. You can't, there's only so much money. And so I'm not going to the Dallas show. I'm saving that money to spend at the national, for example. So I think you'll see the, the hobby dollars being diluted as more and more of these shows start reopening and start happening on a more regular basis. And you got to wonder, does, what does that do to the hobby overall? Does it stifle it a little bit? Because, you know, when you're at a show and there's so many people and there's lots of money being thrown around, it's exciting and it's kind of infectious and you want to buy into that and kind of be a part of that. If it gets diluted enough, does some of that excitement dissipate? And the answer is still yet to be told on that. None of us know. We're going to kind of see what happens over the next few months. Yeah, and it's hard to predict where things go. I mean, you know, if we had this conversation talking about the national coming up, you know, in 2019, you never thought you would fast forward two years and be like, yeah, you can't you can't get blaster boxes at your local target or Walmart anymore. Um, we never would have thought some of the things would be prices that they are. We never would have expected, you know, PSA and BGS to be shut down. So things kind of change. And for the most part, things have been changing in a way where things have been rising and popularity has been growing, but that's obviously not going to happen forever. Um, I think you have core collectors that of course are going to, stay the course and continue to collect. And that's just part of it. But the hobby hype right now, it's like how many people are getting involved in the hobby because of the hype. And because, you know, you can get interested, you can have your interest peaked by, Oh, these cards are worth money. Oh, I can get an autograph. These are valuable. That's going to peak a lot of people's interest, but how many of those people are converted into collectors that want to add stuff to their collection and retain it? to just collect um, for whatever reason or whoever they want to collect, even if it's something that they want to collect and they think, you know what, this is going to be valuable in 15 years or how many people get a little nervous about a bit of a dip and, you know, just sell off and want nothing to do with it. I mean, I think we'll, we'll start to learn more because obviously not everyone who's be, got involved um, in sports cards in the last year and a half is going to stay there. We've I'm sure seen some, uh, disappear and go away uh, with, you know, even just prices getting high enough where they just sell out or um, getting nervous with dips and they just kind of sell out, cut their losses and take off. So, I mean, 
there's no way to predict everything that's going to happen. You can kind of read signs and you can make educated um, predictions, I guess, but it's hard to know for sure, of course. Yeah, time will tell. And, uh, you know, I think, again, if you're a true collector, like you said, it, it won't matter. I, I'm actually excited about prices coming down. <laughs> I mean, I I want to acquire more things, not... I'm not selling. I'm not looking to get out. I'm not flipping anything. It's just ready to have some stabilization in prices, softening in prices so that I can just pick up more stuff that I want to add. Um, and that'll happen. I, I genuinely believe that will happen. I have no idea on the timing of it, the swiftness of it, but there's no question in my mind that we will see that at some point. No question. Yeah, I've been there's always going to be hype. Years. A lot of people act like or think yeah. that oh, this guy's got this hype and this rookie. I mean, there's always hype with rookies, and that's one of the exciting parts of collecting is, you know, being right about some stuff. Being like, you know what, I like this guy. I'm going to buy some of his cards, and it's just you might not even be looking to cash out on him. It's just something um, nice about being correct, but just not every guy's going to pan out, um, in any sport. I mean, you kind of constantly hear like, Oh, is this guy going to be this or that? And of course there's a lot of good young players in baseball and basketball and they're exciting people. Um, the NFL as well, but that's another force that kind of drives things is everything that's going on now, but how long can guys sustain success and can they consistently do it long enough to, uh, kind of keep the attention of the hobby because attention can be lost very quickly. Um, you look at a guy like a Chris Bryant, like he was the toast of the hobby a few years ago and won a world series with the Cubs and he's having a really nice season this year, but it, you don't really hear about him too much, uh, hobby wise, not that there's not plenty of collectors and not that his cards don't go for anything, but I don't, there's just so many, uh, facets to, uh, what drives the hobby. It's, it's interesting. And, you know, another thing that happens at the national a lot, um, people breaking products and breaking boxes and having fun. Of course, there's some stuff that's outrageously expensive and there's some stuff that's very affordable or at least in past. And it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens with that too. Um, you used to be able to buy junk wax, dirt cheap, couple bucks a box and you just break them open, have a good time. And heck, you leave half the cards and let someone else pick them up and take them or uh, hand them off to a kid or something. And even new product. I mean, Topps Chrome blaster boxes, because Topps Chrome usually comes out the week of the national. And, you know, they'd be $20 in your local Target or Walmart. And you'd be able to buy them at the national for like 15 bucks. What happens this year? That'll be another thing yep. that's kind of interesting. Are they going to be 25, 30, 50? Who knows? Well, be ready when you go to the Philly show this weekend that to see tons and tons and tons and tons of modern basketball. I mean, you will be overwhelmed with Luca and Trey Young and Jason Tatum and Zion and, you know, just be ready. There's a, there's a, a glutton of that stuff. In fact, if you look at the numbers of what, PSA is grading of, of their, you know, bajillion card backlog that they're working through. There are, it's so much basketball every, I think last week they did 51,000 basketball cards, you know, 
just in a week. Uh, all of that is likely modern. A majority of that's going to be modern basketball. The pop reports on these modern cards are going to go through the roof, right? And, you know, PSA is doing about 135,000 cards a week or so now, average. Some weeks more, some weeks less. And uh, <laughs> let's talk about, you want to talk about PSA for a little bit? Sure, why not? We do know they will be at the National, and I believe they'll be doing some on-site grading, correct? But they haven't released a price, but it will certainly be very expensive. Uh, uh, It's $300 a card. Okay, they did officially announce it. Which is, yeah, which is the same as their, you know, kind of right now, if you want to send a card in, it's 300 bucks kind of thing. Um, So that's going to price a lot of people away from doing that. Although I still think you're going to have lines kind of so quote unquote out the door. And I I still think there's going to be a huge demand for that. Even at that price point, do you think it, is there any chance in hell in your mind that PSA reopens on July 1st, even though that's what they're saying that's, and they're staying with that message. You know, Nat Turner came out and said that's still their plan. Do you believe that? I don't see how they can possibly do that in the next couple of weeks, but I, I think maybe you'll see a few higher price levels open. There's no way they can open everything. I mean, I still have 22 open orders with them, and I haven't sent anything to them in – well, that's not true – most of that stuff I sent eight to ten months ago, um, maybe even a little longer. I do have a few things I sent to them a few months ago, and that stuff hasn't moved. They just completed an order for me, a five-day, five-business-day turnaround that I sent to them at the end of February, just shipped from them, I think, yesterday or the day before, so I'm expecting it any day. So that goes to show they're quite a bit behind. I know those complete through dates they post there, those from my experience are not very accurate. I don't know what they base them off of. They're but completely worthless. Yeah. Completely worthless. Because I'll have people reach out to me and they're like, well, it says it's complete through there. I'm like, eh, well, I have one under that category that is not even close. So I, I think they'll maybe add another service level, but... I mean, three hundred dollars is kind of crazy, right? Now, if you're at the national and it is. and you open, let's say twenty twenty one tops Chrome baseball, and we talk about baseball a lot because we're both big baseball guys. Let's say tops Chrome comes out, right? You decide what the hell I'll buy a jumbo box for whatever reason. Even though baseball collector is never going to do this, you decide to spend four hundred bucks on a jumbo box, which is an outrageous <laughs> price. But for the hell of it, you decide to do it, right? And you hit a Cabrian Hayes autograph superfractor. Looks perfect. Well, it's probably worth spending that $300. And then you could probably flip that at the show. And then you could take that and buy a kick-ass awesome vintage card for your collection. Maybe even you'd be able to get something, knock something off one of those set registry sets. Okay, that 300 bucks makes sense because that might be a five or $10,000 card. Whether it should be worth that much, you know, that's a whole other debate. Or you buy one of the basketball products and hit something similar. 
or maybe you get into a vintage breaks break and you hit a, you know, 53 mantle in a pack and it looks amazing or 52 if you're even more lucky. Okay, it makes sense, but like I don't know. I I I agree that there'll be lines and a ton of demand for it and a ton of people will do stuff. I just can't believe people actually spend $300 to get cards graded unless it's the right type of card. And and I'm not even saying it's smart. Um I have two cards, two vintage cards that I plan on submitting for on-site grading because I don't want to wait. Here's the thing. Do I need them graded immediately? No, but they're not card. One's a 50 Bowman Jackie Robinson. One's a 48 Bowman uh, Stan Musial. You know, these are comma cards, right? So to me, I, I want them encapsulated. I want them done. I don't want to mail them off and have them sit in some warehouse for God knows how long. And that immediate satisfaction of having them graded is worth it. Um, again, that's my plan now. I could easily be talked out of it. You know, some people, I've said it before on a video and people thought I was crazy and just buying into the, you know, you're such a sucker. You know, I've heard a lot of, I got a lot of comments, people calling me basically an idiot for wanting to do that. And I get it. Well, you and I both remember the days of quarterly specials for six fifty a card or, you know, $7 a card to send into PSA and to think $300 just to get it graded. That seems outrageous. And it is out. I mean, it's not that it's even not outrageous. I'm, I'm not, I'm just telling you, even me, a guy who's pretty anal about how he spends his hobby money. There's a lot of people out there with, with no regard for that whatsoever. So to them, and they just, they're going to do it because they don't know any better or they just don't care. I just think there's so much of that out there in the hobby. Uh, you know, they'll do it if they can make, 50 bucks on the card at the end. If they spend 300 bought, you know, they've opened a box, pulled a card that's worth maybe 400 and a 10, they'll spend the $300 to, to get a shot at it to make the 50 or a hundred bucks that they would clear after it. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I just think no there's people that, that just to me, don't think about it that again, way. Like if you hit a monster card at a modern, I get it. But like, I, <laughs> I understand if you buy a big vintage card that's raw and you have – because with vintage, you have the grading, which of course can help set the price and plays a giant role in the value, the price, um, but also the authentication to make sure it wasn't tampered with and all that stuff. I mean there's so much more value to getting the vintage graded in that type of situation in my opinion than the modern, but of course most of what will be graded um, – on site, I'm sure will be modern, aka ultra modern, which is kind of crazy. But I mean, that's the way the hobby is right now. So I completely agree with you that it will. You're not going to be able to walk up and just say, "Hey, I'd like to get this card graded." You will be standing in line, spending precious time waiting for such an opportunity. I bet you. I'll, I'll bet you, right now. A, any good amount of money you want to bet, not that we really have to bet. It's more of a figure of speech, but there will be people in line for PSA submitting cards at the $300 level that are turning in like a, 
Topps Chrome Lubob rookie or something that's not even worth the cost of grading because the anticipation, well, this card's only going to go up. So I'm going to go ahead and get it graded and, and not knowing there's not realizing these people that there's 50,000 of those at PSA right now waiting to be great or whatever, whatever the numbers are, right. It's some huge exorbitant amount of them coming down the pipeline. That's going to make that pop report completely, uh, irrelevant. Like, Oh, everybody in America could have a PSA 10 Luis Robert rookie card, you know, by the time they get done grading them all. Yeah. The Um, pop report on the, Newer products is definitely artificially low at the current time. Correct. The, there, it won't be in six to 12 months, but I don't, again, I don't think people see the forest for the trees. They, they simply don't know any better. These new people in the hobby just don't know any better. And that's, I think the biggest saddest development that I see in the hobby just overall is these new people coming in, they don't know about bad times in the hobby. They've only experienced hobby in a rising rate in a rising environment, not in a depressive environment like I've been through and you've been through in our hobby careers. And it, and again, it's not that that's, I, I never hated it or anything. I didn't, Oh no, this is terrible. I just, it just was what it was. And I think a lot of these people are going to have a rude awakening when they wake up one day and, oh man, I spent all this money to get these cards graded or to to open boxes or whatever, and it's worth a fraction of what they paid for it. Uh, Again, it's about your motivation, and I think if you're motivated by the almighty dollar, you're likely going to be disappointed the longer you're in the hobby. If you're motivated by altruistic, uh, it sounds so bad, but just if you're just not motivated by money, not that again, nobody, nobody wants their cards to be worthless. Let's just be honest. If you, if you say you don't care about value, you're, you're lying to yourself or to everyone else you're telling that to, because that's just not true. We all care about some value, but I've said this before. I, I said, look, if I buy a card today for, say $50 and 10 years from now I have some reason that I need to sell it and I get $50. I consider that a win. I got, I bought a card. I got to sell it, get my money back. And, and I, and I got to enjoy that card for a decade. That to me is a victory in the hobby. I'm not buying a card for $50 hoping to flip it in six months for 500 or 200 or whatever. So there's just this motivation thing that I think is lacking in the newer people in the, that are coming into the hobby that are driven by the by the money aspect of it and they're just set up to be disappointed that's all yeah and it's times change and things change and you know sports change and such right and think back to baseball like the late 90s and there's players who were had fantastic careers but for one reason or another they fell out of grace they just either their career just momentum stopped i think of guys like miguel tejada like i his old bowman chrome cards were highly sought after and he had a good career right and but just eventually right. won an mvp eventually you just 
don't continue to produce where you put up the type of numbers that's going to get you into the Hall of Fame and you eventually get lost in the shuffle. You have guys like... And not How about to bring Ryan up, Howard? Not to bring up a sore, Howard. sore uh, name for you, but your boy Josh Hamilton had many reasons. Fantastic run and had a bunch of off-field issues. And even though he had a great career overall, gets forgotten and you brought up Ryan Howard. I mean, he'll always be collected by people in Philadelphia, but on a national level, even though he won an MVP, led the league in home runs a few years, had a really, really fantastic career, hit 300-some home runs. He tore his Achilles in, what, 2011? It was never the same after that. I mean, sure, he stuck around for another five, six years, seven years, whatever it was, but his numbers consistently went down, and as he aged... You just don't compile those numbers, and you know here we are ten years later. And does he have some value in the hobby? Of course, he has some value. People will buy him and collect him for whatever reasons, whether they're doing a home run leaders set or they're a Phillies collector. But I mean, his prices are a fraction of what they used to be. Not everyone is going to be an all-time great and a Hall of Famer, and even fewer are going to be goats everyone we're in the age of the goat everyone's a goat i mean it doesn't really work that way guys have good runs can you keep it up for a incredible amount of time most don't not everyone plays quarterback for 20 plus years consistently not everyone plays in the nba at certain levels for 20 some years you know same thing baseball wise guys don't spend maybe 20 years uh with one team and Guys just don't stay in the limelight that long. So, I mean, there's, they're all factors. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy into some hype and enjoy the hype of the hobby um, to a degree and try and collect cards of some of the fantastic players out there. But you do have to be careful with it and not kind of go crazy. And you can't collect everyone and everything. And I know that can be hard to do because I certainly have a hard time focusing. I mean, I do have little focuses, of course, and I I like to expand into the world of baseball, but you know what happens eventually? And I'm not a basketball or hockey guy, really, so I don't really deal with that. I'm a big football fan, but I collect very little football because it's it's too hard. There's too much going on, so I kind of put all that focus into baseball. And I, you know, I do obviously collect... uh, tons of Philly stuff, but I, I love Hall of Famers, and I, I do like the modern stars, but you can't, you have to limit yourself um, in some of those aspects. You just can't do it all. How about, you know, Prince Fielder? Or, I'm just thinking of guys that had periods of being outstanding ball players, right? And the, I think that one of the worst things that's happened to baseball and one of the best things is a guy named Mike Trout, right? You've got Mike Trout who without question is the best baseball player on the planet. By the time his career's over, he's going to be known as probably one of the top 15 to 20 greatest players of all time. I, I truly believe that. And now everybody, because there's a Mike Trout out there right now, well, everybody's going to be Mike Trout. You know, then this here's the next Mike Trout, whatever. There's only one Mike Trout. There's only one Babe Ruth. There's only one Hank Aaron, one Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio. Um, 
and you've got just is Acuna a great player? Sure. Is Soto, yes. Are they going to be that great? I, I don't know. Am I willing to take that risk by paying all this money for these players that might end up like Alvin Davis? Or that's really an old school reference from the mid eighties. Uh, you know, you just don't know. Um, and I don't like to play in the realm of, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a speculator and there's a lot of people that are, and that's fine. Collect what you want to collect. But I've learned experiences taught me in this hobby to, I, I did collect Josh Hamilton and I've, I've collected players and been burned from a value standpoint. Again, that's not why, that's not the only reason I did it. I enjoyed the players, Gerald Strawberry and Juan Gonzalez and, you know, Michael Young for the Rangers, a big Rangers guy, obviously, but there was, I didn't do it for the value. I do look back and think, man, that sucks that these have fractional value to what I paid for them. And that kind of bums me out. Nobody likes to just waste their money. Um, I, I just, I look back on it and go, man, if only I had done the hall of famer stuff earlier. And that's what ultimately converted me to being a hall of fame collector because a, I love the history of the game. Like no question. I love learning about these players and, and collecting the, the legends of the game, but it was also a man, if I'm going to do this long-term, where's the long-term, at least some reasonable terminal value at the end of the rainbow. And it, and it wasn't in individual player collections, uh, unless you just get lucky and pick the, if you picked Mike Trout six or seven years ago, you're a pretty happy guy right now, just in, it, it, value wise. Um, and he and he looks to be, you know, again one of the greats of all time, based on his career trajectory as his career is going now. But right now he's hurt, right? But all these guys are it, one. If you bought in on the hype on, uh, from, Dominic Brown, former Phillies prospect, ranked ahead of Mike Trout, well, then you're in a world of hurt. Thankfully, I never spent a dime on Dominic Brown, but you know, I easily could have. Or I'm I'm just I'll just use the Phillies. They they got a bunch of failed prospects. So do the Rangers. But you know, Reese Hoskins. Is he a he's a is he a serviceable major leaguer? Yeah. Is he what they touted him to be early in his career? Not so far, right? He's a really nice player, but he's certainly not based on age and overall production, Hall of Fame incredibly incredibly unlikely you never say never i mean i've brought up the examples of a guy like edgar martinez who didn't really start playing until he's 30 so you never say never but i mean would i bet a dime on it to win a thousand probably not um but yeah that's just the way even a guy like bryce harper take bryce harper right mvp rookie of the year um all-star games galore so far in his career i mean he's i would call him a borderline great player you probably don't think so because you watch him every day and you get frustrated with his production and stuff and his streakiness but you know if you looked at his career overall he's had a very nice career and he was so hyped and all this strasburg i'm just thinking that he's got strasburg you know two years ago in the world series obviously 
increase his uh, status in the hobby, status in the game to a large degree. And But is it still where it was? I mean, when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. came up, it, they, he was priced as if he was, you know, the next Hank Aaron. And it's like, whoa, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Not that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. won't have a great career. I just don't, like, let's not go too nuts on these guys until they start proving it a little bit. And that's, I think, again, a direct uh, problem that Mike Trout, that what Mike Trout's career has been has created in the hobby today. Everybody thinks they can pick the next Mike Trout. And sadly, there's only one Mike Trout. If you were to say who's the second best player in the major leagues, you could probably have a list of names, Mookie Betts and other you know, and others, but they're way below where Mike Trout is. You see what I mean? There's a huge gap between number one and the next guy, whoever that is, that you might think it is. Uh, that gap hasn't been as big between the best player in the game and the next best player since Ruth. I truly believe that. And not, nobody talks about that being a reality. Ruth was the best player and the second best player until Garrett came along wasn't even close. You know what I mean? And that's true today, I think, that there's this trout effect. Um, I don't know. Am I crazy? I don't think so. Well, I think Babe Ruth may still be one of the more underrated players in baseball history, if that makes any sense, at least hobby-wise. Because when you think, I don't know, maybe even, like, it's like, what have you done for me lately when I hear people trying to argue? Like, how can you make an argument in any way, shape, or form that he's not the greatest player of all time? Based on his pitching ability and performance, and the fact that it a point he was hitting more home runs himself than the rest of baseball combined. I'm like, I get Barry Bonds was a really good hitter, but you, you think he's better than Babe Ruth? Uh, I don't know about that. But, of course, everyone's just going to – it's it's always about what have you done for me lately. I, I mean, I think the hype train is just natural. People are always looking for that um, no matter what it is. Even think of something like movies and stuff. Everyone's hyping every movie or brand-new TV show. And, of course, there's going to be a lot of letdowns, and you see it in every sport, too. Basketball and football, probably even worse, because you have these collegiate players that transfer right into the professional sports as opposed to baseball, where the majority of the time, it obviously takes years to develop. I mean, you're seeing it with Trevor Lawrence in football. It's like... He's already the next, you know, people are going to be spending ungodly amounts of money on his new cards, which I guess have already begun to come out, stuff like score, but just wait till the prism comes out. I mean, it's going to, I mean, he's got a long way to go to uh, prove himself as an all-time great worthy player. And I guess that's just, you know, always been true of the hobby uh, to some degree. It's just with the money that's being thrown around now, it's just insane levels. But when I do see some of these sales on some cards, I'm like, you spent $10,000 on that? Like, it's a cool card, but you could have bought something a lot more scarce and uh, kind of a lot more awesome, in my opinion. But everyone's going to have different things that they enjoy. Well, there's also this. I think there's also a lottery effect, too. You know, everybody wants to hit the lottery. On picking the, you said it earlier. People want to be right, and I, I think there's a lot of that truth to that. 
in just the psychology of opening sports cards and buying players and they all want to hit the lottery. Well, there's a reason the lotteries exist, even though, you know, when you walk in to buy your lottery ticket, that the chances of you winning are infinitesimal. And yet people buy millions of lottery tickets every day around this country and around the world, because the idea of winning the lottery is more valuable than the money you're going to spend to buy the ticket. It's fun just to dream even for a moment that you might actually win. And when you have a box of cards in front of you, it's tempting you to open it and crack the wax and, and open the packs. It's that, man, I might hit the lottery here and it's, and people are paying big bucks to play the lottery in the sports card world. Yeah. And I mean, even just buying singles, a lot of people like to invest in singles and Hey, there's definitely some people out there that bought some Juan Soto first Bowman autographs a number of years ago, probably bought them for like 10 bucks a piece. And they might be able to get like five grand for them now, but there's way more people who said, you know what, this guy looks good and spent 10 bucks on a bunch of autograph prospect cards. And, you know, maybe they bought $110 cards that are now dollar cards. And that adds up into a big loss. And it's even bigger if you spend 40, 80, 100 bucks. I mean, that's one thing I have kind of focused on Phillies wise. Like I collect Phillies stuff. Um, I find it more exciting to pick up the pre-war stuff, the truly scarce um, items. But of course, I'm going to collect the modern stuff as well. But, you know, I'm going to be careful, um, you know, who I collect and what I collect in terms of that. And, you know, I'm going to do the top base sets and the, you know, some of the flagship cards and base cards from different products and that stuff. You know, they're relatively cheap, but one thing I've never really done is the prospect cards until the guy reaches the majors. Like, I don't even have an interest in picking the card up, you know, and then it depends, of course, what they do. And I'm going to be patient with it, too. I'm not going to buy into the hype and spend a couple hundred dollars for a card for an autograph card of a guy who, you know, who knows if they ever hit the big league level at all, let alone in Philadelphia. Um, But that's just. I don't love the prospect game. I think it's fun to go through a box of old Bowman cards five or ten years later and be like, oh, this guy made it, this guy did well, this guy's a star. But I can't play that gambling prospect game. That is just, uh, there's way more losers than winners in that for sure. It'd be an interesting experiment to maybe go, all right, look, I'm going to take 2021 Bowman and I'm going to buy... 10 cards of every player. So again, not knowing which ones are going to pan out at this point or every player that has a first Bowman, let's say, right. Everybody from Jason Dominguez to Bobby Witt Jr. I guess that was 2020 Bowman, but you get my point. You buy all of them, right? I wonder if that, if you made an experiment and said, okay, I could get them all for $5. Let's just say you could get them for five bucks a piece or something. And there's a hundred of them spend $500 to get them all. And, or is it better to wait five years and spend $500 on the one guy actually that makes it what's more satisfying? I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm just throwing it out there as an interesting psychological experiment of, I I'd be the guy that I'm going to wait and I'll buy the guys when they make it. And I'll, yes, I will pay more for that one guy, but I didn't have to buy all the guys that ended up in the 50 cent box at the show. 
You know what I mean? Um, be interesting. You could go back and I mean, I'm sure you could go back year after year in Bowman and go, God, I remember you could look at name after name and go, I remember when this guy was the number one pro, uh, jerks and profar, for example, in using Rangers disasters. Uh, there were years we could have traded jerks and profar for a mint to any number of teams. He's now a utility player for the Oakland or the San Diego Padres, right? You know, it's even the guys that are super hyped will still have a huge propensity to to be never going to make it or never made it. Um, you know, I do you ever you've watched Major League? I'm sure, right, Mike? Of course course most everybody listening to this podcast will have watched major league and the great line of uh of taylor um the catcher right what was the guy's act the actor's name i just went totally blank which is terrible uh tom berenger he says a cup here's to a he, they're they're at a toast they both made they all three made the team him willie mays hayes and and ricky vaughn and they toast and they say to a to a great year from a has been and a couple of never will be's right <laughs> and i always think of that line about prospect cards how many of these guys are never will be's and the answer is a lion's share of them will be never will be's and i just don't like to play that game i mean i get why what the attraction is to it i really do i just i don't know Wisdom and experience is a wonderful teacher. <laughs> yes. I guess. And I've been to, wrong so many times that I got tired of being wrong. For sure. Um, I think, you know, that's a interesting line to bring up when you kind of talk about influencers in the hobby a little bit. Like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who um, provide their advice and such. And I, I think it's important and interesting to listen to different perspectives but i don't think just following the hype of a market for the last year year and a half i don't think that's as valuable and i don't think pieces of software and just recent trends i don't think any of that is nearly as valuable as experience and you know kind of listening to what people who have been involved um, in collecting and involved in the hobby for, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, even beyond that, I think you can learn a lot of great lessons that way. So, you know, talking a little bit about the community, um, real quick, you know, I think there are a ton of collectors out there where you can just gain a ton of knowledge, um, and learn a lot. So I would definitely recommend people who aren't familiar um, with collectors out there have just kind of gotten involved in, you know, this is this is put out in more places than YouTube. So if you're not even familiar with YouTube, I mean, you can bounce around to kind of different channels um, and not just the recommended ones, and you'll learn a lot, and you'll meet a lot of these people perhaps in some videos um, if you're watching content from the National the national, which of course I do want to get back into a little bit. Um, cause there's 
the experience and seeing how things have evolved in sports and in the hobby, I, I do think is invaluable and only time can build experience. You don't learn all that stuff in, you know, the matter of months or a year or so. For sure. And, uh, we always say it's a marathon. The hobby is a marathon, not a sprint. And I've had so many people over the last even year and a half, two years that have found my channel on YouTube, watched videos, and they've sent me emails and whatnot saying, man, Mike, I've, I've kind of converted. I'm, I'm converting over to vintage and I'm so glad that I did. I'm enjoying the hobby so much more. And not that you have to do that to enjoy the hobby. That's not my point. It's that if, you know, there's nothing wrong with kind of, if you're a modern guy now, dabble in vintage. If you're a vent, I, I just bought a modern card the other day. You know, you can enjoy all of it. I just think it's, um, don't dismiss vintage if you're a modern guy. That's, what I guess, my point is don't just say, oh, I don't want to collect old stuff because it's no fun. I can't watch those guys on TV, whatnot. Um, I, it, it's a wonderful part of the hobby. It's obviously something I advocate for constantly <laughs> wherever anybody wants to listen to me talk about it. I mean, my podcast is called The Golden Age of Cardboard, talking about vintage all the time. And it's because I found a joy in that niche of the hobby that I've never experienced before in all the other areas and avenues that I've collected in the past. Vintage has this special thing in my heart and just the way I love the cards and all that and the designs and the nostalgia, all of that stuff is, is unique with vintage versus modern cards. Um, again, both are go, both can be great. Yeah, depending on what you like, but uh, that's just what I found through my experience to be true. That's all. And it's as, my truth. As a fan of the sport and as a fan of co both cards and in this example, baseball, to me, I love collecting it all and dabbling in all of it. Uh, I found myself having way more fun, especially in the spike spike times of the hobby in the vintage and the pre-war and stuff like that just kind of always learning i mean i think if you're younger and what you know is the more modern and ultra modern stuff vintage you know can be a little intimidating in the same way that if you're a vintage person, you're an old school collector and you haven't really dabbled in new stuff, sometimes the ultra modern, the brand new products can be intimidating because you don't truly understand all the parallels and all the hype over certain things. And if you've never dealt with vintage, you can feel a little intimidated. Well, how do I know what the grade would be and how do I know the value um, based on grading or you know what's authentic or not authentic? And there's just always stuff to learn. I think you're going to have fun uh, no matter what you collect and uh, getting involved in something new. So I definitely recommend uh, vintage for sure. And you can do it in so many different ways. I mean, I, I personally love to collect hall of famers and you know what I do? I collect lower graded stuff. Cause as long as it looks nice enough to me, I mean, to me, vintage cards are supposed to be a bit beat up. Something brand new is supposed to come out of a pack pretty close to pristine vintage stuff. 
well, that's stuff that's supposed to have been well-loved and beat up and thrown in a shoebox. So I don't expect them to be perfect, which to me kind of takes the edge off a little bit. Like, I don't, I don't care if a card's a two, as long as it's not destroyed in a way that bothers me. Um, and I like to collect the Hall of Famers, but as a team collector, that helps a ton too, because you can just pick up all sorts of amazing and cool cards, especially if you have a favorite team or a team you like to collect that has a really long history, um, a lot of opportunities there. And, you know, you can't watch a lot of these guys, but you can go back and actually see some highlights or watch, or I've actually, uh, in the past year, I would, you know, obviously is a background thing, but I remember I was listening to like 1950 Phillies games, Phillies, Dodgers games, uh, partial radio broadcast. I'd have it on while I was working on stuff and it's just so cool. And you start recognizing names and stuff of cards you've seen and players, you know, you've kind of followed, uh, card wise and, you know, you can find some old clips and you can do some research on some of the old school stuff, the old pre-war guys from the early 1900s. I mean, there's not a ton of information out there, but when you're able to pick one up for your team collection and then you're sitting there searching back, oh, this guy after baseball needed money and he went and saved up some money and then he went and bought like a peach farm down in Florida or wherever he did. Like, there's actually some interesting stuff and in how many guys became umpires and stuff. So I mean, there's a lot of levels to collecting and a lot of... Uh, super fun ways to collect. So I always recommend people expand their horizons, just like in life, you know, do so in the hobby as well. Totally agree. Totally agree. So what else about the national do you want to talk about? All right. So we can't not at least talk a little bit about some advice that you might give, because there will be a lot of people who are attending the national for the first time. Um, a lot of people who are longtime collectors, maybe a lot of people who have only been back in the game, you know, for the first time in years, you know, here in the last year when a lot of people have come into the hobby. Like, why would you go to the National, Mike? Like, what would be a reason to drive someone to go to the National? You know, we've talked about it a little bit, but is it that opportunity well, to purchase a dream card? I mean... If you're looking to buy a big-time card in person, can be a better experience sometimes or maybe better choices than the same card that's overpriced on eBay. Or is it to meet people and network? Is it to just enjoy the aura of just being 24-7 cards for a few days uh, where everywhere you look are cards and you're just you forget about everything else going on in the world. I mean, are they just kind of all reasons? Yes, yes, yes. And yet, yeah. I mean, you just named several of the great reasons to do it. I would say if you've never been to a national and you can ask anyone that's been, you will never have a more just joyful hobby experience than going to the national. You, if you're trying to decide whether or not to go for a day or a week or the whole week or whatever, if you go for just a day, you'll have a great time. You won't see everything. In fact, you'll see probably a fraction of what's there, but you'll still have a great time. I, I try, I, you know, if you're a first timer, I would say you want, you'd want to go at least three days, honestly, to, to absorb all that is there at the national to be absorbed and to be experienced 
but it's just overall the greatest experience you can have in the hobby period. Uh, there's no other for all the different reasons. Like you mentioned, it, all of it's true. You'll be dead tired at the end of every day. Uh, you'll be, your feet will hurt and you'll, it'll be the best pain you've ever had. It's, it's, you can't wait to get up and, and do it again the next day and the next day. And it's, yeah, the people and yes, the cards and yes, picking up something really cool for your collection or whatever. All of that is what creates that amazing experience that we're talking about. Um, advice, other advice, man. Uh, I, I try to go to, I know people love going to shows, trying to pick up certain cards and whatnot. I think going to shows with zero agenda is way more fun for me because I'm not stressing about some card that I think I need to, or I'm just really wanting to pick up. I'm not setting myself up for disappointment. Although at the national, if you can't find it, then it doesn't exist pretty much. Uh, it's not a hundred percent true, but it's pretty true. And I, I think you just go to the national or any big show with kind of an open mind of I'm going to go and just see what kind of hits me, what, what speaks to me while I'm there. And I've found that when I do that, it shows, I just have a much better time. And if I go with a, with a purpose, I, I sometimes I'm disappointed. And so I'd rather not be disappointed in a thing that's supposed to be so fun. Uh, so I'm trying to think of other advice that would be Really wear comfortable shoes. Everybody says that. Bring water. Wear a backpack. All of those things. Definitely Write down, bring some cash take notes. with you. Uh, yeah, make sure you bring a little cash. Probably a good idea. Cash is king everywhere. Don't ever pay sticker price for a card. You don't have to. If you think, and and I tell people all the time when you're going to a show, walk around a little bit before you buy something because I promise you it's unlikely that whatever card you're targeting and, and that you saw and you're like, Oh, I really, that's really great. If I promise you, you're going to buy it and you're going to walk, you know, two rows over and you're going to find it again for two thirds of the price you just paid. And you're going to be like, Oh, so I always tell people walk around, get a feel, you know, and as you're doing that and you see a card that you want, make sure you, the, the show that the biggest thing people don't understand if they've never been is, how mad it's just so overwhelming it's so massive i tell that to people all the time and they come back yep i, I was so overwhelmed and it's just true if you're going to get confused you think you won't you think you're good at this stuff i'm telling you i've had it happen to me where i forgot to write down where i found a card that i wanted and i decided to go pick it up later and i couldn't find it and it's the most frustrating thing in the world uh so take notes bring a have your phone with you or something where you can you know, I found this card on, on this row, on this booth, and this was the price, you know, take good notes as you're, as you're walking the floor so that when you start going, okay, I'm ready to start making some purchases, you know where to go and you can just be a lot more efficient with your time because it's so big and you just get lost literally. Are yeah, those all good pieces of advice, Mike? For sure. If you don't uh, find a way to 
mark down where you've found something, you there's a good chance you might spend three days looking to find where you were and not find it. That is something I think we've all yep. dealt with because it you walk in and you it, it's hard to describe the whole the whole national experience is really hard. It's it's something you have to experience. It's it's hard to describe fully. Um, and of course, people in your life who are not sports card fans or know nothing about sports cards, they're going to think you're nuts, but like, you're going to have a great time. You're going to walk in, you're going to get some chills, you're going to just be overwhelmed, you're going to have to collect yourself because it's literally like left to right, front to back. I mean, there is just cards everywhere, there are people everywhere. I fully expect it to be even more crowded this year for sure. And it's just like, it takes some time to collect yourself. And, you know, if you're involved at all on social media, you are going to run into people constantly and you're going to have conversations and meet connections. And that can be, you can definitely spend a lot of time with that. So you do want to try and socialize after show hours um, at times. And not to say that you don't want to socialize during that. You could definitely walk around with people, but... I mean, time will fly really quick. A show will begin, the day of the show will begin, and next thing you know, they'll be announcing, all right, shows, today's over in, you know, 20 minutes or so. I mean, the day goes by really quickly, and it's just, it's a crazy, great experience. It is, it's joyous. You will absolutely forget about everything all the stuff that goes on in life and all the things you have to worry about, you will, you will be just focused on, you'll lose yourself. You'll focus on this stuff yeah. and lose yourself in the cards and the community and all that for a number of days. And there will be some withdrawal afterwards. You will definitely feel like a little bit of a letdown once the show ends. Um, and that doesn't mean you sh obviously shouldn't go. It's just, you had a great time and now you have to face the reality that, you know, you got to get back to normal life. You can't spend 24 hours a day talking about, thinking about, and experiencing uh, sports cards and hanging out with all your buddies. And, you know, a lot of people that you've talked to and, you know, people get busy and you can't talk every day. You'll talk every day maybe with some people, but it's just, it's hard to, uh, or, and there's a lot of people you just meet uh, even for the first time and you know of them, but it's just like... It's almost, it really is like a family reunion or a high school reunion, and you just kind of fall back in line with people. And you just, you feel like these are people that you've, you talk to every day for years. Cause in a way, sometimes you do. You might not interact back and forth necessarily, but you'll listen to the same people day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And, it's just, it's an incredible experience and it's a lot of fun. And I think it's something that, you know, given the opportunity, everyone um, involved in this hobby should absolutely try and experience for sure. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And one other thing I definitely would say is I wouldn't just buy something for the sake of buying things. That is something that's definitely easy to almost try and convince yourself to do because you'll see someone buy something amazing for their collection and you just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm here. I got to buy something. And you can either have a few cards you're definitely looking for, have your eye on. Um, but for me, like I'll usually look for stuff that's more oddball or things that I won't find on eBay every day or have a 
difficult time finding. Those are the things I look to try and make purchases. You know, I'll pick up some other stuff, of course, but the things that are kind of available day after day on eBay, that is definitely, those are the items that don't pique my interest as much. It's those opportunities to pick up cards that you, you know, this might be your best chance to, uh, work out a deal for or find. So that's definitely something I would say too. Cause I've definitely had times where I'm like, Oh man, it's the last day of the show. I haven't really picked up that. And it's like, you, ca you catch yourself. You're like, wait, I'm looking to like spend money for the sake of spending money. That, that certainly doesn't make sense. So it's definitely something to think about while right. you're there. For sure. And I, I, I gr totally agree and want to reiterate the look for the unusual don't look for the mainstream. The mainstream you can find anytime, any day, you know, on eBay or wherever else. Look for something that's unusual that you would really love to add to your collection. Um, because I still have cards. I have tons of cards that I bought at Nationals, and I can tell you several things. I can tell you where I bought it, which National, uh, what I paid for it. I can tell you who I was with which is probably the coolest part because you share those experiences of buying those cool cards with other people that you're, Oh man, I was with, I don't know. I remember Michael, you and me, the first time we met really was I think 2018 at the national, like in person, we'd known each other for years before that. But, uh, I remember you and I walking the first thing when I met you, we walked over to, Cause I still remember this. We walked over to the deal of the day at, uh, Oh gosh, I just went blank on their booth. Baseball card, exchange, baseball card right? exchange. Yeah. Uh, that's something everybody should do. Look for what the deals of the day are. I don't know how great a deals are going to be like they've been in years past, but time we'll see. But I remember walking you guy, you and I think Ed was with us and you know, we were just going to check out the deals of the day. Right. Uh, and I'm like, oh, look at this and look at this. And you, some guys pick up stuff. You don't, you know, whatever. You just, you enjoy the experience together and have fun with it. And you love showing off. Look what I found over here, you know, and you love sharing that kind of stuff. And it, it makes memories that last a really, really long time. Yeah. Networking. You may with, not remember that experience with oh, me, but I, I, I definitely, do remember I definitely you. remember going <laughs> over there. I remember that was Cleveland, I believe. Correct. It may, yeah, it was Cleveland. Yep. I um, I definitely recommend kind of networking with your buddies too. They can help you find cards and kind of give help help you make good informative decisions. Um, help you look at examples. I know Eric, those back pages helped you out with uh, a few cards in the past. I believe your Hank Aaron you picked up wisely a few years ago. Yep. Um, just to look at different examples and guys can, they'll get to know what you like and they'll help you be like, all right, well, let's look around at this or that. Oh, this is a really nice example. This is a good price. You know, people will find stuff that you might be interested in because there's certainly some cards that are going to be readily available and there's other cards that maybe there's only two in the entire show and, you know. A few people looking for that card or keeping their eyes open is certainly better than just you yourself. You know, you may easily just get distracted briefly, walk by a table, and you miss it. So that's all stuff that's important. 
Mike, we have uh, been chatting for around an hour and 20 minutes already. It's been a fantastic discussion. <laughs> Definitely don't want to, you know, we could probably do a 24-hour podcast if we really wanted to. Uh, I certainly don't right. want to keep you all night, of course. But uh, before we wrap things up, definitely have a lot of things for you to uh, kind of talk about and pump up a little bit. Obviously, um, you have the channel Baseball Collector. You're back on there making videos. Obviously, um, people enjoy the heck out of that channel and all the stuff you do on there. Tons of content, putting out mail days and showing off portions of your collection and you know some of your set registry stuff and sometimes just providing thoughts on anything and everything going on in the hobby. Of course, you're part of the Bench Clear Media and you do some stuff on there including the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, which is a fantastic listen and of course you do the video version too. So if people want to, you know, sit there and take a look at Mike, you have a chance to do that there as well as opposed to just listening to uh to this audio podcast and uh you know, provide some people with some thoughts on all that stuff. And then you can wrap things up with some information on Hobby Palooza, which is coming back for the second year in a row, which be a little bit different than last year, but pretty similar. Just instead of filling a void, it will be hyping a fantastic experience that will be coming a few weeks later. Yeah, so Hobby Palooza is uh, going to be a month from today, July 10th and 11th, the month from the day we're recording this, July 10th and 11th, Saturday and Sunday. We may do some things on Friday night just to kind of go through who's on the lineup. And, uh, you know, Ty and I from Bench Clear might do some of that. But it's a great opportunity. As Mike, you were part of it last year and appreciate you doing that. I know you're going to be part of it this year. And I know you're looking forward to it because it's just a great opportunity to celebrate the community and celebrate our friends and, and yes, hype the national, but there's going to be guys doing hours of content. It's, it's basically two straight days of constant live streaming all day from 10 AM central to 10 PM central, 12 hours a day for two days of just being able to hop from live stream to live stream each, each contributor each content creator is going to be hosting their hour on their own channel so you'll get to know channels you may not have heard before uh you'll get to just follow along with everybody in the live streams and the chats and uh be there for parts of it be there for all of it we'd love to have you and uh maybe mike you can talk real quick about your experience last year and how you enjoyed it yeah it was awesome last year i remember looking forward to it and following everything that was going on, jumping on as much as possible of every live stream and, you know, watching and kind of listening and taking in what each member of the community was doing and talking about, but also being involved in all those live chats. I mean, the chats are very alive um, and you just get to interact with so many people. And of course you get to know some channels better and you may find new channels to subscribe to and of course just enjoy channels you've subscribed to for a long time uh that whole experience is a ton of fun and then doing the stream doing the stream was definitely a little overwhelming to a degree because just had so much uh you know you wanted to do an hour goes by really quickly when you're the one uh there trying to do a ton of stuff and i was able to have ed wesker griff join me 
and that was a blast doing that with him last year. And last year we really tried to focus on, you know, the community and the collectors in the community and had on, God, I think we might've had like 20 some people join in. Some of them were quick cameos only for, you know, maybe only 10, 15 seconds, but we just tried to get in as much as possible. And it was a blast. And I definitely look forward to, uh, the 2021 version. It's, uh, I think as much now as ever, it's important to, you know, yes, hype and talk about the national and get excited for it, but also, um, you know, shout out a lot of channels out there and interact with uh, the community because it, it can definitely get tough, you know, during the course of the year. It can just, you know, post videos and, of course, watch videos and post comments here and there, but uh, it gets difficult to keep up with it maybe as consistently as you'd like sometimes. So this is a great opportunity for everyone to kind of get together and hang out and promote each other and the channels and just have a ton of fun with it. Well, if, if it's something many of you guys are out there thinking you'd want to be a part of and just participate by watching and, and just being in the chats, like Mike said, we have a website. It's called the hobbypalooza.com. It'll have, it's, it's, it's currently live. You can go watch last year's if you just want to see what it's all about for now, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be adding in who's participating who's going to be hosting hours of live streams and the schedule of how that's going to look as we start putting that together over the next few weeks. So I'd love to see everybody uh, come be a part of it. It's definitely going to be a ton of fun. Definitely something I highly recommend everyone checking out. How about the uh, golden age of cardboard podcast? Uh, You're trying to put them out weekly, I know, but you're definitely getting them out somewhat consistently at least, right? Yeah, trying to. Um, the goal is to have a weekly show. Uh, anybody that creates content knows that's not always uh, the easiest thing to do. And uh, just been trying to do that. That's on all every podcast platform out there that you want to go look for that. That'd be great. It's also, again, on YouTube on the Bench Clear Media channel. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed doing the podcast. I've, I've been surprised. A lot of people had told me in the past, you need to do a podcast. You know, I was like, oh, no, I got enough on my plate. And once I joined Bench Clear and that became something that I was really encouraged to do by Ty, I am so glad that I jumped into that pool and I'm doing that. I'm having a lot of fun focusing on the things that I love, which is the vintage era and focusing on players or teams or sets or you name it uh just everything vintage and pricing and budgeting and i mean so many different topics that have been covered already in the about 10 months that i've been doing it so that's again anywhere you want to listen to a podcast you can go search for the golden nature cardboard and you'll find it and hope you enjoy that too yeah and i definitely think the long form can be a great thing right you know, there's a time and place for everything. There's a time yeah. and place for the five-minute video to just watch real quick when you have five free minutes. And there's a time and place for the hour to hour and a half podcast where, hey, a couple commutes back and forth, boom, you get through an episode. Um, if you're sorting cards, I actually seek out longer videos more often than you would think um, just because I, I don't want to just, well, have five minutes and then have to find something else, have 10 minutes and find something else. Um, I, I think it's just great right. to enjoy the hobby and perspectives and 
people's commentary on such. So I would highly recommend checking out Mike's podcast. I think it's uh, obviously well done, and I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed the show for sure, and I've enjoyed this episode, and I appreciate you joining me once again. Hopefully, we do it again. Um, you know, hopefully, it doesn't take us years to do it once again. Hopefully, we can do it again real soon. <laughs> I'm here whenever you need me, Mike. I'm at your beck and call, my friend. Anything for you. Sounds good, Mike. I appreciate you joining me, and I appreciate everyone taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. Please check out Baseball Collector on YouTube. Check out thehobbypalooza.com. Check out other episodes on the Mike O channel. And, of course, if you're listening somewhere other than YouTube, check out the community, a ton of awesome collectors and content creators out there in YouTube land showing off their awesome collections. Appreciate you listening. Have a great one. (laughs) 